All right, our text today is Ephesians chapter 5. We've been uh, spending the last couple of weeks on this verse. And it reads this. Uh, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And last week we uh, talked about uh, making the most of every opportunity or uh, making the most of our schedules or our time. Uh, that often we, we feel we can't get, uh, we're too busy to get everything we need to get in uh, during the week. And we talked about how uh, the answer to that is simply, and maybe sometimes not so simply, uh, to seek God first. As with our illustration, to put the God rock in our buckets first, and then it's funny how all those other things we really need fit into our lives. As Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, and all those other things that we really need for life will be added. But if you try to add all the things into your life without seeking first the kingdom of God, you will find yourself burnt out, stressed out, and out of time. And so that's what we looked at last week, and you can pick it up on the web if you missed it. Today we're going to focus in on verse 17, uh, about not being foolish, but understanding what the Lord's will is. Uh, There are a lot of decisions we need to make in life. Uh, Every day we have little decisions. There are big decisions sometimes financially. uh, Where am I going in my life? I got this decision about direction or where I should use my time. There's a lot of decisions we need to make in our lives. And a lot of times, sometimes, at least if you're like me, you can make decisions foolishly. Uh, by not really understanding what the Lord's will is. Uh, Sometimes we can make decisions too quickly, or we make them based on our own feelings, our own opinions, without really taking the time to say, God, what do you want in this situation? What do you want in my life? And uh, we don't want to be living as foolish people, but we want to uh, live as wise. And so we're going to talk about uh, understanding the Lord's will today. Jesus, of course, always our example, so we want to start with him. That Jesus, uh, he was constantly seeking the Father's desire, the Father's will for his life. Uh, We see this in numerous texts in John 6. He said, I've come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And of course, this is what hopefully our hearts are are developing more and more into. That our hearts would more and more just be, God, I, I want to be doing your will, not my own will. I want to be living for you, not, not just my own way. In Hebrews, uh, Jesus says this, here I am, I have come to do your will. Uh, John 5, Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son of Man can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him everything He is doing. And the Father loves you and He loves me and He wants to show us what He is doing. He wants to show us where He is working. He wants to be leading and guiding our lives. But in order for us to receive that, we need to be in a position to receive that. We need to have this heart like Jesus, which is, I I just want to do your will. I want to know your ways. Last week we talked about how Jesus Uh, constantly sought God when it came to his schedule. Again, if we want to not be foolish, we want to understand what God's will is, and we want to understand how he wants to direct our time. We see uh, in Luke 6, before he made a major major decision, it says that Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. 
And then at daybreak, he called together all his disciples. He had a whole bunch, but out of those bunch, he chose 12. And when it comes to those major decisions in life, I mean, here we see Jesus, the Son of God, spending all night in prayer, seeking the Father's will before he makes this big decision. And how often are we really seeking God when we need to make those big decisions? And so this text is urging us to not be foolish, but to understand what God's will. I mean, after all, he knows our, our whole life. He knows what's coming down the pipe. We don't. Uh, we might just see the next day, but he sees all these corners and directions. And, 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 and he is the Lord, and he loves us. He's a good father. I mean, how much more should we be checking in with him when it comes to our lives? And this is commanded. Uh, there's only one text in the Bible that tells us actually to be anxious about something. And it's actually to be anxious about doing the will of God. I mean, we get anxious over lots of things, finances and health and busyness and in our families. And we get anxious about lots of kinds of things. But the Bible says don't be anxious about anything. Except be anxious about finding out what God's will is for your life. Be anxious about doing the will of God. Ephesians 6.6 6 says to do the will of God with all your heart. And it's funny <laughs> how sometimes it's like, I'll do it with 50% of my heart. <laughs> I'll do it with my Sundays or, you know, I'll do this. But, but all this is that, 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 that God is leading us to more and more surrender, more and more. We're just, God, I want to do your will with all my heart. And that's what the Bible is asking us to do. And uh, one reason we are to do this, of course, there's many reasons, but uh, the Bible actually says we're accountable for how we live our lives. In 2 Corinthians 5, this is speaking to the church. Paul says this, uh, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each uh, of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Uh, Jesus in John 17 said this uh, before he went to the cross. Before he finished his life, he says, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And that's hopefully going to be our prayer at the end of our lives. That we will be able to honestly say, God, I have lived for your glory and I have completed the work that you gave me to do. And uh, how do we understand what that is? And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But again, uh, we need to keep this, this heart of surrender. And the more we're surrendered, the more we learn what God's will is for us. Now, God's will is not always simple and apparent. Uh, God does not show up in the morning and give us, you know, uh, a, a to-do list for the day, which here's my will, here's all the things I want you to do for the week or the day or the month. It's not always simple and apparent. And this is probably why... A lot of times we wrestle with, you know, what is God's will in this situation? What is he calling me to do? We see in Genesis, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And you got to notice the husband was with her, not off somewhere. They were both there. But here we see the woman sees this food. It looks good. And it looks pleasing to the eye. And it looks like it's desirable for gaining wisdom. And all those things can be good things. And we have all these opportunities in front of us. And sometimes these opportunities look good. And sometimes they look pleasing to the eye. And they look, oh, this looks like a wonderful opportunity. And sometimes we look, this is a great, uh, it just seems like a wise choice. If I make this choice, it could be good for gaining wisdom. 
But just because something looks good, pleasing to the eye, and it looks like a great opportunity doesn't mean it's God's will. Because this was not God's will for Adam and Eve. Even though it looked good, even though it was pleasing to the eye, even though they thought they could gain wisdom, this led to catastrophe for them and all mankind. And this is why the Bible says to not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Because we, like Adam and Eve, if we just kind of live out in the flesh, we can see something that looks like a great opportunity. Wow, I'm going to move my life in this direction. I'm going to go there. But it can be catastrophic, as it was for Adam and Eve, if we are not seeking what God's will is in a situation. In Hebrews chapter 5, again, it talks about how sometimes it's not always easy to, 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 to determine what God's will is. Hebrews 5, it says, solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. And this is something why Basil's discipleship class and other classes are, are important to help us mature where we can get to a place where we are more clear on what God's, God's will is. Uh, Proverbs 14 says, there is a way that appears right, but in the end leads to death. So again, the call is, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. I mean, we are not to be people because we've been purchased with a price. We are no longer ours, but we belong to Jesus, and, and he is our Lord. And so, I mean, you wouldn't work for a company if you weren't the boss and make all the decisions. You would check in with the boss, and we check in with our Father who loves us, and we want to be wise about making decisions. Uh, we see some of the best even struggling sometimes understanding what God's will is. You ever see Paul and Barnabas? They were both apostle, apostles, leaders of the early church. And there was a time they couldn't figure out what God's will was. And so if you're here like just wrestling with God's will, sometimes it can be difficult. Uh, they said, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord. And see how many new believers, uh, how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly. Uh, since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. The, their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas. I mean, they had a difficulty understanding what God's will in this situation was. They actually ended up in a disagreement, and they split over it, and they went off into other ways. And these are apostles. And there are times when we will be in prayer, and we'll be seeking God, and sometimes we're just not quite clear on what God's will is. And, and don't feel guilty, and don't feel like you're a crappy Christian because of that. Even the best sometimes struggle with that. But here's the thing that God is able to do. Even if you just get God's will wrong, God works things for good. Even if you've gotten off track somewhere in your life, it is never too late to get back into the will of God. God can take our mistakes and use them for good. In fact, I even believe that, that if we're really wrestling and, and we're praying and we feel something is God's will, if we head down that track, that sometimes God can even use our mistakes. Uh, because he's a loving father. And uh, here we see that God used this. He furthered the mission movement by having two mission groups and instead of one out of this. But the question is, uh, why is God's will not always simple and apparent? I mean, sometimes it is. I mean, sometimes maybe you and I, we, we've prayed and, and you, just, you just know what God wants in that situation. But sometimes it's like, I really don't know. And there's some reasons why God 
does not drop us off a slip of paper in the morning with your to-do list. Or when you're saying, God, what's the next step in my life where he doesn't give you the, the next three years of your life all laid out for you? And one of the reasons is that God is more concerned about relationship than activity. Uh, if he just dropped off a to-do list every morning, we could be really good at activity and just not really connect with him. We could be busy, we could be doing, we could be doing all this stuff for God, but never really in relationship. Christianity is far more about being than doing. And sometimes we get that backwards. We end up with like the Pharisees. We're all about these rules and laws and we have no heart from God. All of Christianity flows from the heart. It's out of the heart, Jesus says, that our life flows. It's out of the heart. It's a wellspring of life. And one of the ways God keeps us close to him is by sometimes keeping his will a little vague. And so we have to keep coming back every day and saying, God, uh, what do you have me for today? Is this the right step? Is this where am I going? To keep checking in because it is about relationship. If you're not walking in a daily deep relationship with God, you will have a really hard time discerning what God's will is. We need to be checking in and, and, and surrendering and listening and hearing uh, like Jesus modeled. He is more concerned about relationship than activity. Secondly, God's will requires prayer and his presence. Just because you feel that something is God's will does not necessarily mean it's going to be su successful. And I wish I could do a whole message maybe on one time, but a lot of people get this wrong. They hear from God and say, I, I know this is God's will, and they step out into God's will and it fails. Because you've never prayed. You've never sought God through it. You've never asked for strength and protection through whatever God has called you to do. Just because God has asked you to do something not, does not necessarily mean it's going to be su success. Because everything we do requires prayer. And it, it requires, again, relationship. I mean, an example of this is Mark 9 or Matthew 17 when the disciples uh, are trying to cast this demon out of this boy. It was God's will to cast this demon out of the boy. God gave them authority to cast demons out. Uh, obviously, God did not want this boy to suffer with a demon, but the disciples tried to carry out the will of God, and they could not do it. And in the end, in Mark 9, Jesus says, this kind can only come out by prayer. That even though it was God's will, it didn't happen because they uh, were lacking this, this close relationship of prayer with the Father. I mean, and, and this is one of the reasons God just keeps us uh, every day, just giving us little steps often. He doesn't give you the next year usually, but every day he just gives you a little step, a little step so that you take the step and you're praying about God, what's next? And then he gives you the next step, what's next? And you're just walking in this constant fellowship with God. Uh, God does not necessarily lay out to you the whole next year, the whole month, or the whole, you know, five years down the road. He may do that. He can do that. But what's more important in him is that you are walking in deep connection with God. Right? The city of AI, perfect example. Yeah. And he didn't. Yeah. Because there was sin. Sin in the camp. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks, Terry. Uh, John 6. Uh, there is a general and a specific will of God for us. Uh, general will of God, of course, is found in here. This is God's word for all people. And uh, if you're struggling, well, what is God's will? The first place you start is here. Because there's very clear things that are God's will in, in, in the Bible. I mean, John 6, it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. Uh, the will of God starts with a relationship with Jesus. That's how it starts. 
Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, God's will for you is for you to be holy, uh, to be separate, to be different, to be uh, people who are loving God and loving people. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. And right here, at least when I wrote this down, I was like, yeah, I fall short in God's will in this one. Because a lot of times we struggle in this Western society to be thankful. And it's part of God's will that we'd be thankful in, not necessarily for all circumstances, because some circumstances have Satan behind them. We don't want to thank for all circumstances, but we can be thankful in all circumstances. And this is why the mission of our church is simply loving Jesus, loving people, and working with the Holy Spirit to see lives transformed, because that is his general will for all of us to be doing this. And so God has a general will, and this is why we need to be in this book. And the more you're in this book, the more you will understand God's will for you. And uh, every day you should try to, to be in this book. Uh, I mean, you can simply you can listen to it when you're driving. If you have an iPod, you can even put it on your toilet. So you, when you're there, you can flip it, at least get some read. Uh, read it for your devotion. Just wherever you can, try to get the word of God in you. Because this is when you build your life on the rock rather than on the sand. Now, God also has a specific will for our lives. Sometimes it can be called his progressive will because he rarely lays out the whole plan. It's progressive in terms of he usually just gives you one little step at a time. Like Abraham, go to the land I will show you. That's all he says. I'm sure he had lots of questions. Well, what am I going to do there? Like, I mean, what's going on? I leave my. He often just will give you one step and he won't give you any more until you take that step. It's the walking by faith, not by sight. God has a specific will for our lives, though. We see many times in the letters, Paul says this phrase. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. That God's specific will for Paul was to be an apostle. Now, that's not God's will for every person. Not all people are called to be apostles. God has different uh, specific will for different people. We see in Jeremiah... It says, the Lord gave me this message. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. God's specific will for Jeremiah was to be a prophet to the nations. Now, that's not what he has called every person to do. Now, every, every single one of us can prophesy because we can all hear God and speak out, but not all people have the gift of a prophet or uh, have uh, the office of a prophet. Those, those are specific callings. But God has a specific will for you. Just as he might say this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle, uh, he, you can put your name in there and, and there's a will for you in your life. And it may not be flashy and amazing. It might be in this moment that he's just calling you to work at McDonald's. Uh, and that's the step you've got to take because he's got a next step down the road. Again, it's not about this huge, I want to know, I'm going to be like Billy Graham one day. I mean, you don't start there. You start by working in the nursery. You start by taking a little step of faith in where God is calling you. And when you're in that and, and God's not giving you further directions, then you know that you're, you're in the will of God for the moment. And you keep asking God, is there something next? Is there a new step for me to take? Again, this is about relationship. This all comes out of relationship. We see in 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, it says that each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. That God has given us each grace that we are not to keep for ourselves. 
And often when you, your life feels dry and crusty, it's because that grace God has given you has been rotting. It's like that manna. You can only take enough for a day, and that's it. I mean, if you receive God's grace and you're not using your gifts to bless other people in that specific way that God has called you, you will just find your life dry and crusty. You really begin to live when you understand how God has gifted you and how he has shaped you, and you begin to use that for God's glory. That doesn't necessarily mean it needs to be in this church. It may be in this community. It may be in your workplace, wherever it might be. But God has called you and shaped you in specific ways, and he's asking you, I've given you grace. Don't keep it for yourself. And it's a different kind of grace that's different than every other kind of grace because he has given you gifts that no one else has. And we're called to be faithful in carrying that out. God has a road for us. He's got a will for our lives. Now, we need not to get super black and white about this uh, because God has given us freedom in his will. I mean, we don't wake up in the morning and say, uh, God, I don't want to be foolish, but I want to know what your will is, so what color socks should I wear today? You know? Uh, God, I don't want to be foolish, but, you know, should I have Cheerios or pancakes? I mean, just as I as a father give my kids a lot of freedom, our father gives us a lot of freedom. I mean, it's not about like this black and white being legalistic and every little decision you make, you got to check in with. I mean, he's given us lots of freedom, but this is talking about those bigger decisions. This is talking about how he has shaped you. It's talking about your mission and your purpose and the destiny that God has put you, that there is, there is a path, but the problem is we can get off it. Just as I was driving my car down the highway, I could go off and in, into the ditch. In fact, I did that last year. I fell asleep and hit a snowbank. Not a good thing. Uh... Uh, but we can actually miss God's will for our lives. And, and this is one of the saddest things is when someone lives their whole life just living for themselves rather from, than out of the giftings that God has given them. Uh, one of the saddest verses in the Bible is Luke chapter 7. The Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves. God had a plan, a desire for the Pharisees. Uh, he had given them gifts that he wanted them to use, he, but they missed it. They got wrapped up in religion rather than relationship. They got wrapped up in rules and condemning people rather than giving life to people through Jesus. We can miss it as well. We see Matthew chapter 23, this, the whole city of Jerusalem for the most part missed out on the will of God. Matthew 23, how often Jesus said, I have wanted to gather your children together as as a hen protects her chicks beneath their wings. This is what Jesus said. My will for you is to gather you together in relationship. But you wouldn't let me, he says. And God says similar things to us. How long I want to use you. I have shaped you. I've blessed you. I've wired you in these amazing ways. You, you are my workmanship, it says in chapter 2. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. But we can turn. And we can be foolish. And not understand what God's will is. And get off track. We see King Saul did this. Uh, king Saul was chosen by God to be the first king. Uh, Samuel said to all the people, this is the man the Lord has chosen as your king. God's will was for him to be king. But he got off track of God's will. He got off purpose. He began to be filled with pride and jealousy. And eventually uh, God had to remove him as king. And God can, we can start out in the will of God, uh, but uh, through pride and other things, we can, we can get off the will of God. We see this in King Uzziah. Uh, Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. 
He reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. Almost his whole life, he is walking in the will of God. He is taking the grace that God has given and he's dispensing it to his people. For almost his whole life, he's walking in the will of God. And then towards the end of his life, he gets off the road. In 2 Chronicles 26, it says, when he became powerful, he also became proud, which led to his downfall. He sinned against the Lord as God by entering the sanctuary of the Lord's temple and personally burning incense on the incense altar. He becomes proud. Uh, whenever we get proud in our giftings, uh, we get off track because we'll hurt people. Or we always need to stay humble, no matter how spectacular your gifts are, whatever. The more spectacular your gifts are, the more humble you need to be. The more humble you need to be the more teachable you need to be, because that's when you're in danger. He becomes proud, but then he actually does something. He, he was called to be a king, but he says, well, I'm called to be a king. I can do everything, and he actually goes into the temple, and he does what only the priests were supposed to do. He tries to take someone else's calling. He tries to do something that God didn't wire him for, and because of it, he gets off the will of God, and we can do this as well. We can become so proud to think we can do everything. And now we're the superhero of every situation. You just call me, I'll fix it. I mean, and, and we'll get off God's will because we'll get overly busy or we'll get frustrated or we'll become prideful or we'll hurt people. Again, we, we must not be foolish in just kind of thinking, well, I, it just looks good. looks like a great opportunity. I'll just do it. We need to understand what the Lord's will is and, and try to, as best we can, stay down that road that he has called us. So the question is, how do we know what God's will is? How do we know what God's will is? Well, this verse actually tells us. It says, in view of God's mercy, that's all that he has done for us, which is so much. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then it says, then, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so if we want to know what God's will is, we do these things. And we could talk, do a whole series on this, but I can spend five minutes on it. First thing he says is surrender. We got to surrender. That's where it starts. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is kind of speaking a, a picture of the old temp temple system where if you took a, an animal to be sacrificed, in order for that animal to be used as a sacrifice, the person had to surrender it to the priest. And if we want to be used by God, we need to learn to surrender ourselves to God. And it's not an easy thing. It can be difficult to, to, to surrender ourselves over to God. Even Jesus had to wrestle with this in Luke 22, where he said, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And if Jesus wrestled with this, man, you bet we're going to wrestle with this. This is a constant thing that we just lay our lives at Jesus' feet. In view of his mercy, this is why we do it. It's not out of like, you know, I got to, in view of it, he's so good. But I just want to surrender to you, and I want to walk in your will and in your ways. Uh, George Mueller, the, uh, if you've never read his autobiography, it's brilliant. Incredible 
boost to your faith and your uh, uh, desire to pray. But he wrote this little treatise on uh, how to know God's will. And the first thing he says, and the most important thing he says, is surrender. That's what he says. And this is in the midst of trying to make a decision. He says this. I seek at the beginning to get my heart into such a state that it has no will of its own in regard to a given matter. Nine-tenths of the trouble with people is just here. Nine-tenths of the difficulties are overcome when our hearts are ready to do the Lord's will, whatever it may be. When one is truly in this state, it is usually but a little way to the knowledge of what his will is. And this is the battle. <laughs> because we have these desires. And granted, sometimes our desires are God's desires. Sometimes their desires are not. And this is, this is the wrestle. It's just to say, God, I, just, I, I want what you, you want. Uh, Dr. Leon Van Royen said, uh, All that we are, all that we have, all our desires, plans, affections, choices, likes and dislikes must be fully surrendered to God in utter submission before we can know what his will is. Choose to do God's will for your life instead of your own will. Do not launch upon the sea of life headed for a port of your own choosing, guided by a cart, uh, I suppose to say cart of your own uh, drafting, or a chart, yeah, it is a chart, of your own drafting, driven by the power of your own selfish pleasures or ambitions. Come to God, yield your life to Him by one act of trustful, irrevocable surrender. So shall you come steadily to know and see God's will for your life. This is about surrender. But here's the issue. It's hard. And one of the ways w which complicates things is the same reason Adam and Eve struggled to know God's will and why they made the wrong choice. Because Satan came along saying, does God really have your best interest in mind? Is God really for your good? Is God, I think God is holding out on you. And he says the same thing to us today. Because there's this belief that somehow if I surrender my life, if I really want to do, uh, you know, surrender, he's going to send me to Antarctica as a missionary or some crazy place. Something I totally don't want to do. And, and often that's entangled with the lie of the enemy. Now, sometimes God asks us things that are hard to do. But he doesn't ask you to do things that are totally, like, I guess he can, and he does sometimes. But, I mean... If you're wired, he's wired you to do good works, and that is wired in with your passions. He usually doesn't call you into full-time something that's totally not your passion, because he knows you, and he knows your heart, and he knows how you are wired. Uh, the reality is, you will never surrender more than you trust God's character. And I've talked about this before. If you don't trust God's character, you will never fully surrender. If you don't believe that he is good, if you don't believe he is loving, that somehow if you fully surrender to him, things are going to go horrible and bad, and your life is going to be end, and you're going to have no more fun in your life at all. And that's the lie of the enemy trying to keep you from surrender. In John 15, uh, Jesus said, I have told you these things, and he's talking about surrendering to the vine, allowing yourself to be pruned, praying, being in the word, seeking God's will. He says, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Jesus is saying, this is where true joy comes from. I mean, the more selfish we get, the more miserable we get. I don't know about you, but I find this all the time in my life. When I get selfish, I just lose joy. And the more I give myself to Jesus and others, and the more joy I have. It's just kind of this upside-down kingdom. This is what Jesus is saying. 
The more you surrender, the more you find it's not your joy, it's his joy. And there is no more joyous person in this universe than Jesus. And he wants to give you that joy. And the only way it happens is when you learn to surrender. Notice what our text says. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. His will is good. And it's pleasing. And it's perfect. We should never, never, never listen to Satan who says, Oh, God doesn't have your best interest in mind. The way to the abundant life is through God's will. Again, it may not be the easiest life. doesn't make everything easy. Uh, in this world, we have trouble. Uh, but this is what God has called us to do. John 4, Jesus said this. It's when the disciples say, Jesus, you must be hungry. And he says this. My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Jesus said, you know where I'm satisfied? You know where I get abundant life? By doing the will of God. And it's the same with us. The more we align ourselves with what God's desires is, the more we shape our hearts after his, the more we experience uh, this nourishment, this satisfaction, this joy that Jesus calls us to. Uh, secondly, in this text he says, if you want to know what God's will is, that we are not to conform to the patterns of this world. Now there's a lot we could talk about here, but let me just uh, put this in terms of decision making. When we come comes to making decisions, we, we don't make decisions like the world makes decisions. Uh, and this is often why we make foolish mistakes and we don't understand what God's will is. The world often makes decisions by feeling. I kind of feel this is right. Now, sometimes your feelings are going to be right, but not always. Sometimes our feelings can be wrong. Uh, the world makes decisions by sight. It looks pleasing to the eye. It looks good. It looks like desirable for gaining wisdom. Remember Adam and Eve? So I will take it. We don't make decisions like the world makes decisions. We make decisions through seeking Jesus. We make decisions through prayer, reading God's word, hearing God's word, uh, voice. It may give you a picture, a thought, a word. Uh, we hear God's word through prophetic words from other people, through confirmation of circumstances, or through prayer or journaling. One of the ways I discern God's will personally is I'm making a decision is in my journal, I'll say, I'll just say, God, what are you asking me to do here? And I'll write down what I feel he is saying. And the next day I'll do the same thing. And I'll do that for a week. And if I feel God is saying the same thing, then I, 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 I can be quite confident that maybe God is leading there. But every day I get something different, then I'm, I'm very hesitant to move forward. Confirmation. Circumstances, are they lining up? Uh, though sometimes Satan can get better and wreck your circumstances. Uh, what are other surrendered Jesus followers saying? Again, don't make the mistake of going to ask anybody who's a Christian. Because there's a lot of Christians who don't live surrendered lives and they don't make wise decisions. When you're trying to determine God's will, go to those Christians who you know are surrendered. Who are, no, are living for Jesus. Those are the kind of Christians you want to ask advice for, not ones who don't live surrendered lives. Uh, what is wisdom saying? It's where we do actually look at what is this the wise choice? whole book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, are books of wisdom. And most importantly, we're going to avoid the tendency to rush. We in our Western world, we rush way too many things. Because we're like instant. I texted you, where are you? I texted you two minutes ago. Get my email back. We're instant. Netflix, I can watch my, I don't have to wait. You know, it's the next season. We just, it's all there. God doesn't work that way. And I, I think most of my Worst decisions have been rushed decisions. Be patient. 
And God sometimes is way more patient than, than, than we are. So just wait on God until you feel that confirmation, until you, you, you feel that, that God is leading. Though sometimes we have to make rough decisions. So we make decisions differently. And lastly, we want to uh, have right thinking. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. We need a renewed mind. We need to make sure that our mind is lined up with the word of God. One thing that will keep you from experiencing the will of God and the abundant life that comes out of doing the will of God is wrong thinking. That is often when God asks you to take a step, when he asks you to do something and you say, I'm not able. I don't quite understand it. I don't think I could do that. When we walk in by sight rather than by faith, there will always be a step of faith. Uh, this is the theme all throughout the Bible. You remember in Jeremiah when the Lord says to him, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as a prophet to the nation. Oh, sovereign Lord, he says, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. Or Moses, I can't do that. Or you and me, I can't do that. And we've got to make sure we line up with what God is saying, not with what we are saying. We need to believe what Jesus is saying, not always our feelings, because our feelings can lead us the wrong way. We need to listen to Jesus. And, and so in the end, he, the Lord says, don't say I'm too young, for you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you, and don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and protect you. God is with us. And often when God asks us to do something, it will be a step of faith, it will be hard, it will be scary, but God has not asked us to live lives where we can only do things that we're able to do ourselves. Sometimes you know when you're really in the will of God, when there are things you are doing that if the Holy Spirit doesn't show up, they're going to fail. <laughs> when you're like, God, if you don't show up in this conversation, if you don't show up at work today, if you don't show up at church or wherever, your ministry, whatever, if you, if you don't show up, it's not going to happen. But often we have wrong thinking. And our thinking is, well... I have to do it in my own strength. Well, that sounds too scary, so I'm not going to do it. We have a God who can do the impossible. And if you feel something is God's will, step out and pray about it and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is when people come up here and say, you wouldn't believe what happened to what God did today. It's, it's often people who set up a table and do something scary or you have a conversation with somebody you don't want to have a conversation or God leads you to say something to a stranger and you say, you know, I kind of feel God was saying this to you. Those are the kind of things where God steps in. I mean, is there anything you're doing in your life that requires the Holy Spirit? Because I bet there's probably something he's wanting you to do. And this is where right thinking, where we align our thinking with God. Let me just uh, pray this prayer over you. This is a prayer from the book of Hebrews, speaking out the will of God. Now may the God of peace who brought up the dead, uh, who, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood. May he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you, through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. So, Father, we just seal that in our hearts this morning. Uh, God, we want to be people who do your will. Uh, God, we want to be people who walk by faith 
and not by sight. So God, I pray you give us the courage to walk in the direction you're calling us. I pray you give us uh, the passion to seek you. Because this all comes from seeking your face. So God, I pray you bring us all into a deeper relationship with you. That la- as we talked about last week, God, that you really would be number one in our lives. And that all of life flows from there. In Jesus' name.